Alan Lung is engaged with the tricky idea of cultivating caviar from sturgeon. Uh, as far as I know, he's the only person in this space. He's worked in the fish trade for most of his life in one form or another and understands it better than most. His logic is that if cultivated seafood is going to be expensive to produce, then you may as well produce something which people are already willing to pay a lot of money for. It seems uh, like good logic to me. My name is Alex Crisp and this is the Future of Foods podcast talking about cell-grown caviar. The Future of Foods talks are now available to view as well as listen to, so you can find us on YouTube and please like and subscribe. Thank you for uh, agreeing to do this podcast. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, what is it um, that you're working on? Right. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. My name is Alan. I'm CEO and founder of Marinus Bio. I've been working with animals, especially aquatic animals, for over a decade. For me, I live and work in hundreds of seafood facilities to gain hands-on experience from farming, processing, and selling fish to real customers. However, at work, I had to kill more than a million animals a day. And that's why I, com I feel compelled to find a sustainable alternative. During my MBA, I was a CFO for another alternative foods company, and I was able to help them to raise money. And then this time around, we work with what I feel is amazing founders to create something that is expensive, that is sustainable and that breaks that makes science breakthrough to make this cultivated seafood industry works in my view. Mm. So when you say you want to work on something that's expensive, do you mean inexpensive or or is it supposed to be expensive? Well, let me put it this way: the cultivated process is expensive today, no matter which way you look at it. And we want to make a business case that is profitable today instead of profitable when we wish we get to, you know, 1 million tons a day or whatever it is, right? So the first product will always have to have a price that compensate for the cost of the research. Mm. So you're, we, working, uh, you're working on a cultivated caviar. So um, because that's at a premium, I suppose that ticks all the boxes in that, in that regard, right? We we want to make um we want to make seafood delicacies that um the animal themselves are not efficient at making, and in that way we are conserving the animals, we are fighting climate actions, and we're also helping with the animal welfare. Mm. So you're saying that the, the the animals are not efficient at making it. Um, I know about I know about cows. Uh, the efficiency of a cow is only four percent compared to. Uh, a bioreactor that is anything around sort of fifteen percent. So, in regard to caviar, uh, is it a similar thing? What is the efficiency of the uh, sturgeon? Is it sturgeon that the caviar comes from? Yes. So, primary cav caviar or sturgeon caviar comes from sturgeon. We also yeah. make other roles when it comes from salmon, trout, and other species. Okay. The the just focus on sturgeon for a moment. It mm -hmm. takes maybe one, two, three years to farm most farm animals. But for sturgeon, it takes around 10 years. 
So in, in the fish tray or in the animal meat tray, we have something called feed conversion ratios, where um where like a, a cow or a pig is like two or three. So that means every two pounds of um of of feed turn into one pound of animal. Um in fish is probably two or one pound something, depending on the fish. Um, but in the case of sturgeon, it's not like that because number one, it takes 10 years to farm a fish. And just imagine you've been you if you if you're a farmer and you're trying to run a business, you're feeding the fish for 10 years and the fish die right before they give you the caviar, then you you basically lose all that money. So that's number one. Number two is only half of the sturgeon population are female. And of course, as you know, only female produce caviar. And number three is that it just, it takes really long time and the, the outcome is not always consistent. So we know farms that been farming sturgeon um, and they haven't had output for the last three years because either the situation is not right, the age is not right, or um or the quality is not right and they don't want to damage their reputation so that a farm can have zero revenue for three years and of course like that that's not the same that's not the same for for chicken or or for fish or like fish fillets and then for other other species so we feel that we are actually making it more efficient and it's not necessarily just how much energy or how many calories is converted from 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 food to to meat i mean of course that's important too but we're trying to make a business case that this is more efficient because there is of course a lot of unknowns with bioreactors as uh, we, we don't know how efficient it can be at scale we don't know like what was the practical experience of running giant bioreactors for foods um, honestly as a human race we have not done that and, and I, I of course hope that will become more efficient over time but i want to i want to find a safe product that even with mistakes, if challenges, with errors, we still have the buffer to correct and the buffer to improve. And it's almost like a Tesla. Right? We, we really started with a, a, a really expensive car at the beginning before we gradually get into the mass market. And I feel that like self-cultivated meats or self-cultivated seafood should follow a similar model where we focus on premium products initially, um, improve the efficiency, learn how to do it, then over time shift into uh, more large scale, more bulk products mm. as the technologies mature. Mm. Um, of course, like I, I personally, I believe that by the time, by the end of my lifetime, um, a lot of the as a portion of the the animal protein that people eat will no longer come from a, a slaughter animal. Um, but we are not there yet, and we really should focus on getting the first step right before we try to save the world because. As I always put to people, right? only only financially viable business can be sustainable. There isn't a there isn't a sustainable business that's not financially viable, and we need to focus on financial viability, especially in this climate where I think investors are expecting a return and expecting that you break even. And investors definitely don't want to subsidize people's lunch and dinner so right, at the restaurant. Um can we just get back to the uh, the product itself? I mean, I'm I am very interested uh, to to discuss uh, caviar as uh, a kind of cultivated product. So, um, because uh, most um, companies, I suppose, are producing the uh, the animal itself um, rather than the eggs which come from the animal. So, does that make it? more difficult or more straightforward because as far as i see it each caviar is uh 
is one cell. Is that is am I looking at that correctly? Cool. So you're correct, right? If you have chicken egg this morning or you have a fish roll this morning or did last evening, you ate one cell, right? One chicken egg is one cell, one fish egg is also one cell. Right. Cell culture, culture food by cell by cell, right? So when we culture, we literally cell, as the name suggests, we're cell culturing. So we're making it cell by cell individually. Um, for for your audience who 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 have a PhD in science, they will know that like muscles are formed by myotubes, but essentially like muscle fibers are are, are multicellular structure. And, and if you if you look at a salmon fillet or something, then you know that the muscles and the fat like interlinguish hmm. each other. Inside inside a piece of meat in a in a natural animal, uh, there'll be blood vessels to supply oxygen and, and nutrients to to um to to the flesh and of course like just like you and me and the animal they go to the gym right we we run a, we run on a treadmill or something they run away from 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 predators then these these muscles are, are exercise and, and the texture improve of course as as the the muscles you know exercise yeah. and so on we can't really do that in in a in a in a, in a bioreactor not, not that i know of anyway in in a in a fast and efficient way uh whereas when we make one cell or one fish egg cell, we really kind of just make one roll. Of course, yeah. now there, there has been existing literature, at least for sturgeon, that people have been able to culture um, ovarian tissues. Mm. And that the, the there also there have been studies to um to to grow these eggs into into more of to grow these eggs and to divide them and um and to culture them into something that is perhaps what we will call role in the natural sense. Now, just, just, to, just to make it clear, there's a lot of IP and there's a lot of innovation still needed. A lot of scientific R&D is still needed to make what we call role or caviar on, on our dinner plates. Right? That there has been no one who, who culture a genuine egg and form it into a role and push it into a plate and for someone to push it into the mouth. Um, what, what I've seen in the market right now is primarily what I call alternative. So it may not be a genuine egg. It may not be fish at all. It might be like vegan roll or whatever. So there has no one, no one has done that yet. But okay. so do you, I mean, are you confident, that, are you confident yeah. that you will be able to do that? That you will, you know, that you can put the science together to deliver the row? We, we are confident that we are a good team to try. And, and the reason being is that we, we have experts in seafoods, we have experts in fish cell culture and fish cell research, and we have experts who have experience in commercializing cultivated meats. Mm. Um, the, the science of, of um, culturing eggs is already there. It was done mostly for research purposes, uh, either for ecology or, or, or for other type of uh, biotechnologies. But there has never been like people trying to do it for food. And our barrier is to make it cost efficient, scalable, and safe. Mm. So that not only we can post it, produce it efficiently, but also to uh, recreate the organoleptic experience. So that this is something that we crave and we truly enjoy. So what are the um I know that these questions are perhaps a little bit uh a little bit science-based and uh and you haven't got your scientist here. So if if you don't know, that's fine. But you know, what are the barriers to creating the row? What are the problems? Do you? Uh, I mean, are you able to answer that question, or shall we move on? 
I, I try to describe it in general terms. Um, there are a couple of issues that that we need to we need to focus on. First, we need to find the right animals, and, and I've been working in the cultivated seafood for some time. Um, the idea that you, you get a, you get a fish or or, or get an aquatic animal from from the supermarkets or or from the wet market or fresh off the boat seems ideal from a layman sense, but there are a lot of issues. First of all, how do you how do you know that animal is what it is? Now that I mean, I've been working in the fish sector for for over a decade. I, I cannot identify every fish in the supermarket. Just just to put it out there, okay. So that that's that's one that's one issue. And the other issue is. You don't know the history of that fish. Was it sick? Uh, was it healthy? Uh, was animal welfare uh, processes observed? Um, ethical standards observed when the animal was slaughtered? You perhaps don't have records. You can't really ask the, the person at the checkout to, to describe how the fish was produced to you, right? I mean, that, that's <laughs> to my knowledge. So what we try to do is first we find the focus on the provenance of the animal. So we go back to the farm, we ask the breeder, we that's that like where the fish came from, how did you farm the fish, you know, what was the fish eating, and, and so on and so forth. These are standard procedures that we would do for a supermarket in the US as well, right? When we farm fish. So we have records of everything. So that's that's number one. Number two is you need to extract the right cell. Now, like I don't want to get into deep dive into the science here, but the cells are small, right? They are you can see them under the microscope, and the fish is huge. So where do you find the right cell for the right purpose? And then, of course, then there is the, 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 the process of making the cell dividable in suspension and, mm. and surely, scalable. So, surely the cell to make roe has to come from the roe itself rather than from the fish itself. You, I would describe it like this. I would say that the, every, every fish, uh, every female fish at least, uh, have have roles that uh, have future roles to be in the body, obviously, because okay. it does come from the fish. And we try to extract those future roles to be. And I, I, I don't want to get into the biology nuance here, but well, I understand. essentially I understand yeah, broadly what you, you mean. You don't you don't want to you don't want to pick up the role from the water. First of all, that those roles would likely be contaminated because yeah. you know it's it's an environment. And secondly to my knowledge, there's no easy way to divide those roles once they're like pushed out of the body. So like we want the cell culture, right? So we, we want them to be dividing rapidly. And there is some IP in how to find the right cell in the fish. And it may sound more complicated than um than what first appeared to at least to me initially when I founded the company. Okay. Okay. Well, let's. Um. I mean, uh, yes. I, I have a broad understanding. So, uh, uh, let's move on. So, you you come from um you come from a seafood uh kind of sales background. You told me that that your family have been selling seafood. Uh. So, let, let me maybe maybe it's a good chance to to tell my story here. I, yeah. I'm I'm from Hong Kong originally. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I grew up uh, I grew up studying partly in Hong Kong and partly in the UK and partly in Canada. Um, and my degree was in biology. But then I was very, very confused about what I wanted to do next. And, and as all most kids in Hong Kong, uh, when you don't know what to do, you go and do finance. So um, I, I went into investment banking um, and I started working as a uh, first in the back office and later uh, as an investment banker in the city, uh, 
Now, I really joined the industry at the wrong time because in the first months that I joined, Lehman Brother collapsed. Uh, so, <laughs> and I always tell people it's not because of me. Um, so Lehman Brother collapsed and, and the job market was extraordinarily difficult as you can imagine. Um, and, and I moved back to Asia and continued investment banking. In investment banking, I specialize in food. In food, I specialize in seafood. And in seafood, I specialize in fish. Now, I, my, my personal family, my, own, my, my family does not farm fish, but I have served multiple families farming pigs, fish, and other animals as well. Um, and unlike most other investment banker or M&A advisors, we work with fairly early stage companies and we go into the farms and the factories to work with them and solve operational issues uh, that, that need to be solved uh, for the business to be, to be viable as an M&A target. Um, so, though I I gun up every day, I uh you know I wear the coats. I can I can smell the factory when I when I go there, and by just being in the factory smelling it, I kind of know what kind of fish or shrimp or meat they are making already, right? Because I've been there for so long, and we only we only we don't only do fish factory. We do farms. We do feed meals. Uh, we 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 work in all sorts of operations, and. What I remember and what I learned from all this is that A, like farming is no easy feat. Number two, the farmers really love the animals and they care for them and they form an emotional bond with them. And this also applies to me because every time I, I walk across the farm and I see these land animals being lined up or being prepped for slaughter, the more, the closer they get to the slaughtering line, the more stressed they are, the more fidgety they become. And as the moment that they are killed or the moment that they get slaughtered, I see, I can look into their eyes and their eyes were filled with fear. And then I look into my eyes, my eyes were filled with sadness. Now, our systems produce foods for millions of families around the world. We create dignified employment for tens of thousands of people. And they really should put food for table, put food on the table for a lot of families who couldn't otherwise afford a healthy, nutritious source of proteins. So there is the animal cost, but there is also the economic benefits that food industry brings. And and we, I remember that during COVID, right, that there was substantial disruption in, in the supply chain, and like supermarkets were running out of food. And as food producer when we promise like a supermarket to deliver food, we'll always deliver it at the original price subject to logistics, what logistics allow, right? Because there was no ships and so on. But we'll try to always deliver the food on time mm. to the best that we can at the price that we promise. But what I want to say is this, is that we work closely with the seafood sector to grow the seafood pie together. And that we work with both sturgeon farmers and, and other farmers of other aquatic species to enable them to be more sustainable, to be kinder to the animals and mm. to extract our biotechnology know-how to help them. And I, I honestly believe that the food system, that our food story in the future is diverse. There's, there isn't one plant, one cell culture technology or one animal that can feed everybody. It has never been by the way, so that, that everybody can contribute to that food story and we can together make a kinder uh, and more sustainable future 
for for the next generation yeah well i'm i'm all for that that's that's uh that's sort of the purpose of these podcasts i suppose is to is to try and grow that community and kind of act in in some way as a as a as a conduit perhaps you know um help helping to spread the information so um it's it's uh it's i suppose the 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 fisheries the fish farms are um are investing in their own future because they perhaps see cultivated seafood as something that will replace the fish farms and so clearly they you know they need to kind of look look ahead so um would you say that you that that you are that you that you are getting significant investment from the fish farms and and from the fisheries? We we have we have a diversified investor base from a, a wide range of investors, and it's, um most of the early investors were the ones that have invested in in my previous alternative food startup that uh that I work for, and make uh, a decent return um from from the previous deals. And we also work with other people that from my investment banking days where uh, they were former clients and they they have also generated returns from from those transactions. Right. Um I, I wanna I want to emphasize that investors do want returns and and it is our job as uh, CEOs to to do our best to deliver returns. Mm-hmm. Um and and I will I will stress that we we look at it from that lens but to your earlier comment that seafood companies are investing in their own future. I, I totally agree with that. But we're also investing in a kinder future for the animals, yeah. for the equity and respect that they deserve because they make the ultimate sacrifice for us to, to create wealth and to put food on the table for us. Mm. Yeah, so um, with your caviar, which countries are you hoping to launch the caviar into? We... We will focus on countries that have uh, existing regulatory approval. Um, the goal is to learn from the first movers who spend significant investments and effort in working with regulators to establish pre- precedents and procedures so that as second mover, we can become more efficient and we don't have to, uh, uh, we, we, we are helped by these countries who, of these startups who will make their initial efforts. So today there are two countries, to my knowledge, that, that have approved that cultivated meat, being the United States and Singapore. Um, and of course, like we 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 are quite deeply connected to ecosystems in both countries. Um, and we look forward to working with regulators uh, in the future to launch products in, in, in these countries, as well as other countries as, uh, as cultivated yeah. meat uh, being approved across the world. So, uh, and seafood hasn't been um, approved in either of those countries yet, has it? No. So it's interesting. So I'm not a legal expert, but I'll I'll tell you what I know, and, and mm-hmm. I want to caveat that. But in the US, uh, for majority of seafood is actually uh, uh, processed or under the jurisdiction of the FDA. So, except for one or two types of seafoods, um, that almost all seafood is under the FDA, where uh, in, in the case of cultured chicken, for example, uh, I, I understand that they had to engage both FDA and USDA uh, to get it into the market. Now, as you know, staffs are short on cash, short on time, and short on humans. So the fewer regulatory hurdles that, that you have is perhaps the easier. Um, and we also like the fact that um, cultural role is just one type of cell. 
the only cell that we are we are eating is egg cells, right? Except except some like except under some like very exceptional circumstances, you can eat egg cells on its own as as food. Whereas in a, in a piece of meat, you have like the muscle cells, the fat cells, and potentially the connective tissue cells that you need to either hybrid or you need to uh, um you need to co-culture them or somehow. Uh, have them linked together. So from a regular, regulatory perspective, that individual cell type as food is, is much easier. And as humans, we eat one individual cell types from malaria, and that's the egg cells. Yeah. Um, okay. for, for Singapore, is, there's no there's no deal agency structure for Singapore. So Singapore is also easier in that sense. It's, it's all uh, regulated by the Singapore Food Agency. Um, so so of course, then we, we, we had previous communication for... Uh, in 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 my in my career in the food industry. Mm. So you must be watching um, uh, other companies like Blue Nalu and uh, and Umami and Blue and uh, to see which of those are going to get regulatory approval first. Have you any have you any insider information? You know, have you any idea? You know, what might happen next with those companies? I would say that um, actually I'm friends and with uh, founders and, and employees of, of some of these companies that you mentioned, um, and I, I would I would let them do their own announcement by themselves. Um, but what I can say is that there are a lot of companies eyeing for regulatory approval in the cultivated seafood space. Um, so I'm confident that uh, one or more of them will, will obtain approval sooner than later. Um, as to when, I I don't want to I want to break the element of surprise. I think that they they should they should they should control that narratives. What I would say is this though, um, there is a lot of companies now trying to create their own brands in cultivated meat, and then that's super amazing. But we as an industry or we as individual startups need to determine whether we are a technology company or a brand company because the investors are different, the returns are different, and the requirements are different. As someone been in the seafood industry for 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 quite some time, I can tell you that investing in brands does not always generate the return that you seek. Now, like, let me ask you or let, let me remind everybody that when you eat a piece of salmon or when you eat a piece of tuna at, at your favorite restaurant, did they tell you what brand of tuna or what brand of salmon did they come from? Probably not, right? This is, this is, and this is, this also applies to like chicken, pork and beef and shrimp and, and, and all, all, all other type of meat as well. So, so that, that is that case. Whereas, um, like sturgeon or roe, they tend to tell a story. So these are like, oh, we come from that farm, you come from that country, and, and they're bred in, in certain ways. So the more expensive the, the meat or the animal protein is, the easier it is to tell a brand story. Um, but the brand story always almost come from the animal, but not from like a, a ketchup brand or a tea brand or, or, or whatever. So that we we need to take that into account. What one thing that the industry have done really, really well is having industry standardization brands. So we we call them certification in, in, in the seafood industry. So um for your listeners who are not seafood buyers, like the, the two big uh well-known brands are ASC or Aqua Aquaculture Stewardship Councils. Uh, there's an equivalent for wild caught seafood called MSC, and then there's BAP uh, primarily for the US. So they are like big name certifications that the industry had kind of agreed and subscribed to. And as the cultivated seafood industry mature, I'm hoping that we can find some kind of certification to demonstrate that A, the animal is GMO otherwise, B, is the, is, has the animal been, been treated fairly or well in, in, the, in the process where the cells are extracted? Um, and thirdly, like, if, 
is the process safe? Uh, has, has any kind of, you know, unsafe or any kind of uh, only the best or the, the most, only the, the chemicals and ingredients that uh, that were certified were used and, and that kind of standards. And I think that as the, as the industry matures, investing dollar to uh, create customer confidence as an industry together is much more, uh, is much better return for the, in the, the all investors than each company compete issuing competing brands that have very, very similar brand message. But of course, like the industry is still very new. Neither you or me know what will happen. So we'll watch and, and I, I look at, I look forward with, with eager and enthusiasm that uh, we will create a, a sustainable uh, uh, market acceptance for, for, for consumers around the world. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, you've, you've sort of just answered um, a question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, and so I was going to ask you whether you think, um, whether you think cultivated meat and fish is a good investment to make. Ah, that's, that, that's, that's like, is any stock a good investment? Yeah. I don't want to be a stock. I don't want to be a stockbroker, but um, no, but you are I, I was, a stockbroker, aren't you? So <laughs> I'm a stockbroker, so... am I? So <laughs> let me let me answer it this way. Um, there, in in my view, I mean, we I have I have been involved in investments in in of course my own company, but also other companies as well in this space. Um, I would I would say this right. One is that there has been a hype that historically I've heard some founders talking about that everyone's got to culture their own meat or whatever it is that they want to culture in their own kitchen. I mean, let's face it. Do you grow your own fish or your own shrimp or your own oyster in your kitchen? You don't. Why? Because we have a day job, right? We want to go to work and come back and don't have to worry about it. Like a supermarket is a pretty good choice for us, right? I mean, let, let's just face it like as is. So that the idea that people were culturing their own food, I think it's no longer here. I haven't, never mind heard that, um, I haven't heard that particular idea that we will be able to sort of culture our own fish and meat. I think it's a little bit more complicated for the average person to sort of do that in their kitchen. Exactly. So, and then the idea that there are a lot of like micro breweries of people culturing their own food in, in certain jurisdictions when there's food stuff, that is possible. So like Singapore, for example, is going along that route because there's food security issues. Whereas like in, in countries that are net food exporter, like the US, I mean, they're mostly focused on improving the technology and creating a lowering cost and improving safety. And that normally means concentrating things, right? So like in pig farm and pig factories, we don't farm one pig in every town. That's just, that's just a biosecurity nightmare. We want to group them together in one, one location to, mm. to, to do all the clean rooms and all, all those things, right? So that's number one. Um, I, I would say that if you were to invest in cultivated meat, and and I, I of course I, I support you to do that and, and support your listeners to do that, but you should do your due diligence, right? Work with the founders, work with the, the, the chief scientific officer to understand whether the science is viable. Ask someone else who are in this industry uh, uh, to check the, the reputation and the scientific capability of the startups. And in my view, like, in cultivating meat, at least my view is that we are investing in technology. We're not investing in brands. Um, the reason why is that the brand will not work unless the technology works. And if the technology works, we can always do the brand later. Um, mm. And I, I would say that I've been selling seafood or been involved in the seafood industry for over 10 years. Uh, the brand is important, but the company is even more important. So knowing what brand you buy it from is not as important as knowing who, which factory produces it. And the brand is in the factories, in the corporate. 
yeah. um, and that's 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 really really uh, important to to seafood buyers that exist today. Yeah. So that I think I think that if you're investing in especially in cultivated seafood, you need to talk to a seafood buyer to understand like what is their customer journey, what's their purchasing behavior, and then ask yourself whether the science and the business actually match. And mm. this is the challenge that 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 we have, right? Like for example, like hybrid food. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Hybrid food is a really good way to improve the technology and to lower costs. But we have been making. I'm Chinese, right? I'm Cantonese Chinese. I've been eating fish ball since like <laughs> my memory. Allowed, since I have my memory, right? So a fish ball has always been a hybrid food. So that we make fish meat and we have plant based hybrid and we mix them together. We farm fish ball and we put them in our noodle and we we slurp away and we're we're very happy. I still very much enjoy fish ball and it's a hybrid product. And of course, like they they can they can decrease costs. But the issue for hybrid product is if you, if you go into a fish factory or a fish ball factory like, like, like the one that I work in, then you'll know that the fish ball is coming from fish waste that we cannot otherwise sell. So that you, you're really competing with fish producers that have a very, very low marginal cost that they, they basically, they cut the fillet and the leftover bits of meats that they cannot form a fillet, they, they form fish fingers and fish balls. So that if you, if you were to do that, then you need to understand that from a price comparative landscape that the, the cost, the price comparison for the, the, product, the production cost for like the, the, the fish carcass or the fish scraps is, is very, very low for a fish factory because it's a necessary evil in the process of making fish fillets. Um, and that, that you have to think the cost very, very carefully. And again, that goes back to why we make caviar because like I always say, caviar is an expensive liquidated part of the animal that animals themselves are not very good at making, but people really, really enjoy. So we mm -hmm. want to make things that our, our biggest competitor is not the meat industry. Our biggest competitor is the animal that we love and we try to save. So we need to be more efficient than the animal. And yeah. that's like the only way we can, uh, we can gain a foothold in this system and to be part of a... Uh, sustainable food story that uh, well it that, makes that, uh, it makes perfect yeah. sense to me that 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 you that you would concentrate your efforts on uh, a premium uh, product uh, on one that is already expensive and it's um is uh, um um uh, and also where there's no competition I suppose because as far as I know you are the only person I know who who's doing caviar. So I mean, it it makes perfect sense. I'm I'm interested to know what your views are um, uh, about other companies. Now there are lots of companies now that are uh, merging. So once the technology is is uh, is is um, is fixed, is is working, then clearly R and D companies will then need to merge with companies who are more used to scaling up. So we've seen this happen a number of times um, around the world with with you know with Celex and um, Meetable and and, ver and various other ones where they are sort of joining forces. Um, is this? Um, uh, I mean, is this something that you would look to do at some point? Uh, it's, it's, it's I mean, we we'll be we're happy to entertain collaboration uh, proposals of course right as, as always and that they do we do we do see a, a number of them that that we actively seek to partner with and negotiate and and hopefully form something that is bigger than than ourselves right that's that's of course true 
Um, I would for on the M and A landscape, perhaps I was trained as an M and A banker, so uh, I may be able to say uh, maybe may have some humble observations here. Um, there there are two types of M and A right now. Um, there are the M and As where uh, companies with what I would call like not completely mature technologies or technologies that is prior to product market fit in the cultivator industry that are merging and selling partly because that um because of the the difficult fundraising environment and also partly because that I think there there are some technology or some capabilities that are not quite ready for product market fit and and I say that because I've saw a lot of mistakes especially in cultivated seafoods where people started with the wrong animals or the wrong like procedures and the wrong work because they were really there was a period especially during COVID that a lot of uh, companies really tried to please the investors oh we are going in and bigger bioreactors oh we are we have like uh, x number of cell lines now having x number of cell lines doesn't mean all of those cell lines can reach product market fit so having more cell lines is not necessarily better. It's better to have one good cell line than a thousand bad ones. So that's number one. Having big bioreactors or having a pilot factories and so on is of course good, right? You can produce things, assuming the cell line work. Now, I don't have the IP databases for every startup, so I don't know whether like individual startups have the right cell lines, but we have seen companies that fail uh, because they, they build too fast. And unfortunately, I believe there are still some more to come that they, they have built too fast uh, before the biotech, like they build the infrastructure before the biotechnology is ready, so that like they, they get into a cash twenty two situation that they don't have enough money to do the R and D, nor they can commercialize uh, uh, using the existing infrastructure. So those company will probably be sold uh, uh, at at some at a price that that is worth to the incoming buyer. Um, there will be, on the other hand, there will be companies that are buying like what I call ready made technologies. To uh to commercialize cultivated meat and cultivated seafood, um in my view that is still some way to go and I can explain why, um the biggest seafood companies the biggest brands seafood brands in the world now that that are in your your and in my supermarket and in our fridge, uh often buy seafood from a third party manufacturer so you can think of it as almost like OEM um and I, I don't want to go into the the names and who makes what because that 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 may you know, I was just like, I'll, I'll, people can come to me privately. I can kind of point them to the right directions. But different factories, and you know, I worked in the industry before as well. That different factories make food for different brands. And if you are in the if you're in the seafood buying world, you kind of know which brand and which factories does what for who. Now, if you as a cultivator meat founder and go like, oh, you pitch to the to the, to the CEO of this brand, say, hey, uh, take my technology and make food for you, then I think a lot of this founder will see or this big brands company will secretly ask us like actually we don't make our own seafood or we buy the seafood from someone else or we have a packer or manufacturer who does it for us so why are you like as a technology company outsourcing the work like back to me right like as a technology is supposed to save me time and making my life easier not make my life more efficient so if you if if my advice to any kind of cultivator meat technologies trying to sell to a big brand is you have to ask whether that you're helping the big brand to make their life easier or make their lives harder. And if you, you're helping them, you can help them to make their lives easier, fantastic. If you cannot, then we as an industry need to work harder to do that. Or you can create your own brands and compete directly with them. But like, there's no, 
there's no there's no uh there's no shortcut in food because like it's an honest trade for honest people and and food will people will always remember you if you sell them the wrong food um yes. and uh and in our industry like knowing having that reputation having the the long-term relationship is very very valuable for us so um just like how i remind myself every day we need to wake up earlier work harder and do not rest until we get it done okay okay um i'm just gonna uh, so last question um apart from your uh, own products and your own company which cellular agriculture companies do you admire most that are out there at the moment i what I can tell you is, I, I will say this, I, I will say that I increasingly become, I admire that more and more of them as I learn more and more from them. The problem, as you know, is that I work for one. So my, my ability to learn from others is, is somewhat more limited than you. Uh, and and I, I'm also relying on the news and on, on public media to, to understand, understand this industry. And, and I, I, so I don't, I don't know how to answer that question knowing so little that I know. But I would say that I would say that the really early players that, that started this industry, uh I think that like the founders have have an amazing vision that, you know, even now that I look back, when when they were founded this company, I, I was still, you know, sleeping in the meat factory. And and I heard about it. I even I thought it was crazy. So like and of course, and now I'm 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 holding I'm wearing the CEO hat. So like I find that vision to be amazing, and I I really admire that. And I I want to say that for all those founders who who founded the company, you know, five ten uh, years ago, like I kudos to you. Like you 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 taught the industry something like for the whole animal protein industry that we can do better, we will do better by using technologies and using human ingenuity to create a kinder future for the animals yeah. um, that are under our care. I suppose one of the oldest companies is the um the is is the Dutch one. Um yes. So like I think it's the meat, is it? Is that yeah so like um okay I, I I'm not a very good historian so I, I need to ask okay. someone who is more expert. But the the gentleman who started it uh, uh, making the burger on, I believe, was Dutch TV, Dutch television was Mark Pauls, and he is of course the founder of uh, of of Moser. Yeah. Um, and but like that, there, there are a lot of other companies who who are doing this too. So and of course like he 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 is a thought leader and an industry leader in this space. So Alan, anyway, thank you for answering the questions. Uh, it's been it's been great talking to you and. Uh... Let's let's stay in touch. Uh, I, I want to be one of the first to try your caviar when it's when it's ready. <laughs> yeah, so, I'll be sure. Uh, for sure, we'll be sure to let you know when when. Uh, send when me an we, invitation. Uh, why not? Yeah, we we secretly sneak into the lab in the middle of the night to uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to 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 experience it. Like no, thank you very much for your time, and I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, like I said, like. Uh, our industry needs to work together more and compete less because literally we are the really small fish in the pond and um, we we still have way to go before uh, uh, we become a big fish uh, in this industry, in the fish industry. 
And even the big fish are very collegiate and they work together to create a sustainable seafood industry. And we should just take a leap from that, knowing that um, this industry you know, belong to the to the to mankind of the future so that we can produce sustainable, uh, nutritious, healthy, and kind food that uh, that this world deserves. Mm, absolutely. And on that note, um, let's uh um, I'll, I'll say goodnight and uh, enjoy your weekend uh, and nice meeting you, Alan. Thanks very much.